ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Hello, everybody. What's up? What's going on? What is good? We are checking in here, and this is January 9th, 2022, and this is yet another episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I'm your host, James Bell, the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You could catch us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and also on YouTube. Uh, there, so you'll be able to just follow us on any one of those social media platforms. Um, we got like um, you know a few things here that we're going to talk about uh, this week in this particular episode. Uh, it, it, we had um, you know action that did uh, go down in the Blue Grail Resort in Orlando, Florida, on Friday night. Uh, we did have uh, um, fighters that. We did interview before his fight on Friday, and that was William Foster III. He was able to score a big uh, win over Edwin De Los Santos uh, there in that particular fight card. It was a win, but it was more of like a unanimous decision win. Uh, You had two judges give him uh, 77 to 74 scores. While the other George, uh, Ephraim LeBron, scored at 77 to 74 for Edwin De Los Santos. And I don't even understand how that was possible because only after about the first couple of rounds, she really didn't have much from De Los Santos to really say that he won a majority of the rounds uh, there in that eight round bout. Um, you know, you have, you know, that's basically like a. What I would say a um, five, pretty much like a five rounds to three uh, advantage. I think uh, you know Edwin De Los Santos did have a point taken away for excessive holding in this particular fight, so that's why uh, you didn't have uh, unanimous scores of like you know seventy-seven to seventy-five or. Uh, Foster. Uh, he goes to 14 and 0 with that win uh, there in that particular bout. Uh, you also had uh, Otar uh that scored a unanimous decision win over Sonny Castillo. Um, you know, pretty much like headlined by his uh, two knockdowns that he scored in the first round. And, you know, pretty much like a better Castillo over the course of the fight. Uh, Castillo couldn't get himself back into it. Uh, was more of like Aaronosian's uh, power was just a little bit too much for Starling Castillo there in the lightweight division. So, uh, Otar Aaronosian is now 11 and 0 
uh, there in his professional career. And in the main event, you had Luis Ronaldo Nunez uh, getting a TKO victory over Carlos Arrieta in the 10th round. He was, you know, pretty impressive uh, there over the course of the bout up until he, you know, scored a knockdown in the 10th round and then ended up, you know, uh, finishing off Arietta there. Um, it was just more about him kind of like beating Arietta to the punch for the majority of that fight. And then, um, you know, it was just a little bit too much for Arietta to, you know, go through uh, there in that bout. So uh, there in the super featherweight division, uh, Luis Nunez, Goes to 16 and 0 with Carlos Arietta now, uh, with a record of 14 and 1. Uh, so we might see you know a little bit more from you know Luis Nunez and William Foster III, uh, there who are both in the super featherweight division. Yes, that's 130 pounds. Uh, so they could you know clash later on down the line, maybe, uh, there in order to get themselves in a position. Uh, to be ranked in one of those sanctioned bodies, the WBC, WBA, WBO, or IBF. Uh, they're in that super featherweight division. While uh, you have Otar Aranosian, uh, they're in that lightweight division. Of course, uh, you know, lightweight division is also uh, very stacked uh, themselves. So uh, that's something that we will be uh, watching out for uh, here in the, in the future. So, I mean, you got... Uh, a lot of things going down uh, there in the 130 and 135 pound division. So definitely did want to, you know, cover that uh, in this particular portion of this podcast. Uh, so uh, y'all could, you know, go ahead and check those guys out. There should be, you know, highlights of the fights. If you ended up missing it live there on Showbox New Generation, uh, but you know, pretty good performances by the winners uh, there in those particular bouts. Now, uh, you do have uh, coming up uh, here on Saturday. Uh, there's supposed to be a world title bout uh, scheduled. Uh, that's for January 15th. Uh, there in the light heavyweight division you have the wbo light heavyweight champion joe smith jr uh he will be uh fighting at the turning stone resort and casino in verona uh new york and he is going to now face steve jeffard uh there in his uh defense of that uh, WBO light heavyweight championship. This will be his first defense of that particular belt. Yes, he was originally scheduled to face Callum Johnson, but Callum Johnson had to be removed from that card uh, due to a positive COVID-19 test. Uh, so now uh, to, you know, kind of like have this uh, card uh, still be intact, uh, they had Steve Jaffard uh, come in uh, to be the replacement opponent, uh, Steve Jaffard there is uh, coming in with a record of 18 wins and two losses. Uh, he, you know, has like a you know string of victories there. He has not lost in a good while. Uh, actually, he has a 18 fight win streak as he lost his first two professional bouts and has won 
ever since. Uh, his last bout was back in March of last year over in Delray Beach against Dennis Grashev, uh, where he won by unanimous decision. So uh, he's coming from Miami, Florida, uh, and uh, is now, you know, looking to see if he could uh, try his luck to become uh, a world champion uh, going up against uh, Joe Smith Jr. Of course, Joe Smith Jr. Uh, did have his uh, wins over Bernard Hopkins, Elder Alvarez, Jesse Hart, uh, and ended up getting the uh, majority decision victory over Maxime Vlasov last year in order to win that WBO light heavyweight championship. Uh, so this will be Joe Smith Jr.'s first defense of that world title uh, that will be at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino uh, there in Verona, New York. Uh, you also have uh, Abraham Nova uh, that will be, you know, taking on William Encarnacion in this uh, particular fight card. Uh, Encarnacion, I think, is uh, yet another uh, replacement opponent in this uh, bout because uh, you had um, Abraham Nova, uh, who, you know, was uh, originally uh, there to uh, be part of a, um, what is it, the co-feature with, um, it was supposed to be uh, Jose Enrique Vivas, but Enrique Vivas had to drop out uh, due to an injury. So now uh, William L. Gago Encarnacion, who comes in with a record of 19-1 and with 15 wins by way of knockout, will face Abraham Nova, who is undefeated there in the uh, featherweight division uh, at 20 and 0 with 14 KO. So uh, that kind of like, uh, you know, sets up what you have uh, there in this uh, fight card uh, coming up on Saturday. You also uh, will have uh, Troy Isley uh, there in the middleweight division. Troy Isley, um, you know, is from. Uh, the Washington, D.C. area, pretty much uh, Alexandria, Virginia, is uh, where he uh, resides and kind of trains uh, there. So uh, that's, uh, you know, one guy here in the DMV area. You also have uh, Jihad Tucker uh, that's supposed to uh, be uh, part of this um, fight card as well, uh, coming out of Queens, New York. And uh, we got to see here if they do fit in. Uh, Bruce Shushu Carrington uh, in this fight card as well in a four-round bout. Uh, he did have his uh, first uh, professional fight uh, in the uh, Fury Wilder 3 undercard uh, back in October 9th. Uh, he is a recent signee to top rank. So uh, you do have uh, multiple uh, young fighters there that are signed under top rank. Uh, you know, including, you know, uh, Bruce Carrington, uh, Troy Isley, who, you know, had a bout over in Atlanta as part of the um, part of the fight card that had, um, you know, the Shakur Stevenson uh, win over uh, Jamel Herring in Atlanta at the uh, at the uh, arena over there. So. Uh, he did, Troy Isley did have a good showing in that particular uh, fight card. So uh, he'll be back in the ring. Uh, he's going up against Heron Cubano in 
the middleweight division. Uh, Jahad Tucker will be going up against Akeem Black. Uh, and you also have like Omar Rosario against Raekwon Butler uh, in this fight card as well uh, over at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York. So uh, that is what they got uh, here on the schedule through uh, ESPN and ESPN Plus uh, over in the U.S. And it will be on BT Sport in the U.K. So that, you know, covers uh, what's happening there on January 15th. Uh, you do have on January 22nd the uh, defense of the WBC featherweight championship. Gary Allen Russell Jr., Mr. Gary Russell Jr., going up in the ring against Mark McSyle at the Bogota Hotel Casino in Atlantic City. Uh, that headlines that particular fight card that also includes King Tug, Tugsat Nyambayar, going up against Vic Perseus. Uh, you also have uh, Evan Holyfield that will be part of this uh, card as well. So uh, we got to see um, how that thing shakes itself out. Um, I thought there was supposed to be uh, yet another uh, fight that was um, supposed to be part of this uh, that, you know, involved uh, guys in the 140-pound division. Uh, but we got to see if uh, that will uh, kind of like um, be um, finalized uh, there. Because I know that we're supposed to have Subrio Matias against Petros Ananyan uh, there. But according to the rec, quote unquote, uh, they do not have uh, Subrio Matias against uh, Petros Ananyan on the schedule. So I have to. You know, check on the updates uh, to see if that card is, you know, still, I mean, that fight is still intact. If you're going to have uh, Petros Ananyan uh, there against Subriel Matias, uh, that's supposed to be a part of that card. You know, I was kind of looking forward uh, to seeing uh, Subriel Matias there back in the ring, you know, against uh, Petros Ananyan. Uh, but we're, we're going to see how, how that kind of like turn, turns out. Uh, there, so uh, we'll see uh, how how that goes. Um, you know, uh, with Subaru Matias, he is like one of those top contenders there in the 140 pound division, a very deep division there at 140 pounds. Uh, and you know, Matias uh, there against Nanyan, that you know might end up, that might be the uh, co-main event. Uh, that's supposed to be a rematch uh, there as well. So we got to see uh, how that. Uh, shapes itself out so that kind of like gives you the schedule mainly there for uh the next uh, couple of weeks uh so to speak uh but there's going to be a lot more coming up uh in, in the uh, boxing ring uh you know we did have uh a couple of days ago an announcement of uh fights on the zone platform uh, as they, you know, had their 2022 schedule uh, put out uh, as far as like what's happening uh, from, you know, February through March uh, as you're going to have pretty up to eight fight cards uh, that will be shown on the zone uh, starting off with February 5th uh, with 
former two-way world champion Jesse Vargas going up against Liam Smith uh, there. And uh, you're also going to have in the co-feature Srizaket Sorungvasai against Carlos Quadras. That is going to be the co-feature for the vacant WBC Super Flyweight title. That's going to be a very important fight in the Super Flyweight division, given what is on the schedule for the zone. So you'll have Jesse Vargas against former Super Welterweight champion Liam Smith coming up on February 5th. Followed by Daniel Jacobs against John Ryder on February 12th in a super middleweight bout. You have two-time middleweight champion Daniel Jacobs now in the super middleweight division taking on John Ryder in a crossroads bout. John Ryder had his bout with Callum Smith where a lot of people thought they won that fight. But Smith got the nod and went on to face Canelo Alvarez now Callum Smith is campaigning in the light heavyweight division. Daniel Jacobs had his run at middleweight. Now he's at super middleweight. Fought little Chavez. Got the win there. And also fought Gabe Rosado, where a good number of people thought Gabe Rosado won that fight. Gabe Rosado gave a great performance in that fight against Daniel Jacobs and probably should have got the nod, but he ended up giving it to Daniel Jacobs. Uh, now, Daniel Jacobs is there campaigning in the super middleweight division. And we got to see here with this particular fight against John Ryder, how that would uh, place him in the super middleweight rankings. And if he would go after uh, one of those super middleweight titles that is out there, of course, all of them are held by Kenel Alvarez. Next up on the schedule there for the zone is Jaime Munguia versus Demetrius Ballard. Yeah, yeah, I I pause. <laughs> I pause on purpose. We're talking about Jaime Munguia here, and I know a cover the sport that you know that's what I do. But here we are. We're we're like this is almost like what year three or something like that, right? We know that Jaime Munguia was a former WBO 154-pound champion. We know that he beat Saddam Ali for that, you know, 154-pound champion after Saddam Ali beat Miguel Cotto or whatever it was. Okay, cool, right? He goes from 154 to 160 pounds. He's undefeated, Okay. We know what the WBO does when it comes to world champions that move up. They pretty much become the mandatory challenger to whoever holds the WBO championship. Here's Jaime Munguia, undefeated, former champion at 154, going up to 160. He does this, right? He doesn't face the WBO champion at 160 in Demetrius Andre. Okay, that's one thing. All right, cool. Going into the the back part of last year, people kind of like knew that, okay, he's not going to, you know, go forward and, 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 and face uh, Demetrius Andre for the WBO belt. Okay. So he's saying, oh, he's going to lean towards the WBC Eliminator, right? 
as he was highly ranked in the WBC. And he was waiting on what was going to happen with Sergey Derevianchenko and Carlos Adames with the presumption that Sergey Derevianchenko was going to win that fight. Well, as we all know, Sergey Derevianchenko did not win that fight. Carlos Adames won that fight. So with Carlos Adames winning that fight, Carlos Adames would have put himself in position to have a final eliminator in that middleweight division for the WBC belt. So, okay, um, what, 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 what's up with what's, what's up with you know Jaime Munguia, man? Um, why why isn't he fighting Carlos Adames? Why why couldn't he get some done with Carlos Adames? Okay, okay, that's fine. All right, whatever Drake says in that in that you know song, right? Um, I'm too sexy for the whatever that song is. All right, now you got Jaime Munguia coming off his win over Gabe Rosado. Where Gabe Rosado had come from 168 down to 160, you know, after upsetting Beck the Bully, knocking him out, he comes down to 160 to fight Jaime Munguia. Jaime Munguia wins. Okay, he wins. Now he's fighting another, uh, you know, unbeaten guy in Demetrius Ballard uh, that they say is a rescheduled middleweight battle between the pair for the WBO Intercontinental Middleweight title. Okay. All right. So, Jaime Munguia is there now facing a guy in Demetrius Ballard that is, you know, also, you know, undefeated um, and whatnot. Uh, he... You know, had himself a little bit of a performance uh, there against Paul Valenzuela. Uh, had a unanimous decision win in that undercard of Munguia versus Rosado. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I don't understand how you have someone in Jaime Munguia who has, you know, pretty much campaigned in the middleweight division for a good amount of time since. You know, the start of 2020, uh, after he, you know, got his win over Spike O'Sullivan, uh, you know, and now it's going to be his fifth fight coming up in the middleweight division, and he still has not challenged for the world title, especially the WBO middleweight title, currently held by Demetrius Andre, which we will talk about a little bit later here in this particular podcast. Um but I mean that you know that that's what we got out here so far in, in reference to that particular matchup, Hyman McGee, Demetrius Ballard. And yeah, I mean I'm uh like I'm like kinda like disappointed uh in, in that one. Uh, I thought we could have got a little bit more uh, out of Hyman McGee, especially with what had been happening with the WBO in the middleweight division, particularly right now. Like I said, I'll go into that a little bit later. Uh, next up, they have uh, something on, uh, will be on Sunday, uh, over, should be over in the UK, as WBO uh, Cruiserweight champ Lawrence Coley will 
uh, go up against Michael Cizlak. Uh there, uh, Michael Cizlak, uh from Poland. Uh, so uh, WBO Cruiserweight Champion Lawrence Ciccoli, uh should be um, defending his title against Michael Cizlak, uh there. Um, I've kind of like heard that, you know, maybe Ocoli has kind of hinted at uh, trying his luck in the heavyweight division pretty soon. Uh, but, you know, for the time being, he has, you know, this uh, bout coming up. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he would have, you know, tried to, you know, move towards being a unified champ at cruiserweight. Uh, you know, maybe going up against uh, Mirrors Brightis or uh, Arson Golomarian, uh, the WBA champion. Uh, but for right now, uh, you have Lawrence Ciccoli, uh there having his uh, defense uh, there against Mikhail Cisliak. Uh That will be on a Sunday, uh, February 27th. Next up on the schedule for the zone is one of the um, fights that a lot of boxing fans are looking forward to, and it will be the third chapter of Juan Francisco Estrada versus uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez. Yeah, and that will be um, for the WBA and Ring Magazine Super Flyweight Championships. Uh, they did fight March 13th last year in a great, great, great bout um, won by Juan Francisco Estrada um, that, you know, good amount of people probably felt like uh, Chocolatito won that fight. Uh, but uh, here, you know, we have Estrada, who is, you know, the WBA Ring Magazine Super Flyweight Champ. He is also the franchise champion for the WBC. Uh, which, like I was uh, mentioning earlier, Run Versailles versus Quadras. The winner of that fight is slated to face the winner of this particular bout, which would kind of like, you know, seal the deal as who would be the uh, top uh, guy there in that particular, you know, division. Um, And... You know, that kind of like is uh, a good, 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 you know, little uh, bit there uh, as uh, what we have uh, coming up um, for those uh, first five weeks or so on the zone schedule uh, there. So uh, Chocolatito uh, will face Estrada for the third time there on March 5th. Uh, looks to be in San Diego. Uh, but we'll go through uh, more of this schedule here in a little bit. But I'll be right back. All right. Checking back in uh, here on the Boxing Source radio show. You know, just uh, went through uh, most of the schedule there that they got for uh, the zone coming up uh, here. That will be uh, starting in, you know, four weeks. It's pretty much starting in February. Uh, and then it's going to go through February and March. Um, and uh, the last 
you know, the last particular uh, fight that I talked about was uh, Juan Francisco Estrada versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. Uh, there that they're going to be fighting there in the super flyweight division. Um, and like I said, that's going to be a really, really good bout. Um, you do have, you know, Kazuda Ioka. Uh, they're also in the super flyweight division WBO champion. Uh, and like I said, Carlos Quadras versus uh, Srisiket Sorung Vasai. Uh, that's going to happen earlier in the year, uh, pretty much uh, February 5th, uh, uh, that we kind of mentioned that's going to be that co-feature bout uh, to Jesse Vargas versus uh, Liam Smith. So uh, that super flyweight division is going to uh, be a little bit, um, you know, sorted out at the top uh, here as, you know, Kazuri Yoka uh, there as a WBO champion, Yorinan Kahas. Uh, there at uh, the IBF champion and, of course, franchise champion in uh, Ring Magazine champion, WBA uh, champ, Ron Francisco Estrada going up against Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez uh, there on March 5th. Uh, followed by March 12th, uh, you got Lee Wood versus Mick Collin uh, for the WBA uh, title uh, there in the... Uh, featherweight division um and lee wood and, and mick collin you know yeah 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 <laughs> hold, hold on man. hold on whoa hold on yo i mean yo like lee wood and mick collin um Lee Wood, you know, you know, got got his win there for for that WBA uh, belt, you know, um, and okay, he 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 had himself a a, a you know good little bit of uh, of a performance there uh, against uh, Zukan or Kanzu or something like that. Okay, that that was cool. You know, um, now he's going up against McConnell. And uh, Mick, Mick Collin, uh, you know, Mick Collin, you know, I pretty much like put it like this. Mick Collin uh, had been floating around as the uh, as a uh, contender uh, over at 126. Uh, he had, you know, a little bit of a spot where he, you know, was a top contender for, I think it was a WBO featherweight title at 126. And I think he could have fought for the WBO title. Uh, but I think there was a guy by the name of Emmanuel Navarrete, you know, that was coming up from 122 to 126. And he was a WBO champion 122. And he said he's going up to 126. So with him going up to 126, Looked like uh, Mick Collins was kind of iffy as far as like seeing if he could fight for that title. So, looked like it went down to 122. So, he could be a contender at 122. Uh, but there was a problem. Uh, 122 was kind of like uh, booked up, you know. Um, 
you know, you you had uh, you know guys out there in the 122 uh, pound division like uh, Angelo Leo and uh, Stephen Fulton that at the time were scheduled to fight for that vacant WBO title because they were the top two contenders, you know. Um, and the thing about it is, is like, you know, with, with that being said, uh, they kind of, you know, said with um, Mick Conlon, oh, well, I guess, you know, I can't really go after this particular title. So let me go back up to 126. And I guess this is, you know, how he positions himself to uh, contend for a world title at 126. So you're going to have Lee Wood uh, there against McConnell, uh for that uh, WBA uh, title. Uh, of course, you know, you have uh, Leo Santa Cruz as the uh, standing super champion uh, there at 126. He does have a fight coming up on February 5th, you know. Um, and, you know, he did, uh, you know, uh, say that he has intentions of, you know, going back down to 126. So after, you know, Leo Santa Cruz has his fight on February 5th, you know, he wins, then he's going to, you know, stick there at 126 and pretty much, I guess, you know, have that super championship still. So uh, I guess the winner of this fight could have a stake as far as, like, would they be able to fight Leo Santa Cruz uh, to consolidate those WBA titles? Maybe that could happen. But, you know, it just remains to be seen. Uh, next up is uh, you got... On March 19th, top uh, contender there in the welterweight division, Virgil Ortiz Jr., goes up against Michael McKinson. Uh, and that will be for the international welterweight title there in the WBO. These are two guys that are highly ranked in the WBO rankings. Uh, you have, you know, Virgil Ortiz. Uh, that is, you know, kind of like there as the next guy up uh, in the WBO rankings, uh, you know, had been the top guy or the number two guy uh, there in the WBO rankings at welterweight. Of course, Terrence Crawford had his last mandatory defense November 20th of last year, defeating Sean Porter in a 10th round TKO victory. Uh, so, you know, whoever wins this fight between Virgil Ortiz Jr. and Michael McKinson, number one versus number four, uh, would pretty much uh, set themselves up to be the next mandatory challenger for the WBO welterweight championship. Uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr. has uh, been uh, one of the more impressive young fighters out there. Uh, a lot of people put him uh, alongside Jerome Bootsy, this is one of the uh, up-and-comers uh, there in, in, in the sport of boxing. But, you know, over here on this side, we pretty much, like, seen Jerome Bootsy this up close and personal. And we say, like, Boots is the goods. And, you know, I pretty much hear that from every 
body around boxing is like boots is is pretty much the guy. So uh, we got to see here what uh, Virgil Ortiz does. Uh, that is his next challenge there against Michael McKinson. Uh, McKinson is uh, you know they're undefeated. Uh, you know, a uh, good, good amount of people here on uh, this side of the Atlantic don't really know much about Michael McKenzie, but uh, he, you know, uh, has like a lot of wins, not that many knockouts, uh, uh, but, you know, a good amount of boxing skills. So uh, that's the thing that, you know, a lot of people are intrigued about in reference to uh, Michael McKenzie. Uh, if it's going to be like a different uh, look there for, Virgil Ortiz Jr., uh, as, you know, he's kind of like faced a good amount of guys that have been uh, in front of him, uh, so to speak. But uh, Michael McKinson there uh, does have a record of 21 wins, no losses. Only two of those wins by way of knockout. So uh, we got to see how he's going to be able to uh, deal with someone uh, like a Virgil Ortiz Jr. who has stopped every one of his opponents up to this particular point uh, with 18 wins, all of them by way of knockout or stoppage victory. Uh, last uh, last fight on this schedule here for the zone is going to be on March 26th, Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington. Uh, this is a second encounter of these two guys, Kiko Martinez versus Josh Warrington. As uh, Josh Warrington did have a uh, decision victory over uh, Kiko Martinez years ago. Um, but, oh, man, they're talking about the same, uh, you know, Kiko Martinez uh, that, you know, won the IBF featherweight title that Josh Warrington had held. At one point, you know, uh, Josh Warrington had the IBF title, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have a unification bout set up. You know, we tried to get that done uh, in 2020 or something like that, you know, tried to see about getting a fight in with Kanzu when Kanzu uh, held a, the WBA title. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, they, you know, tried to get something with uh, Shakur Stevenson when Shakur Stevenson was a WBO featherweight champion. Couldn't get that done. Uh, and then, you know, at one point, you know, around the last minute, uh, they tried to uh, get something done um, with Josh Warrington and the WBC featherweight champion Gary Russell Jr., which if you look on our uh, YouTube page, that Gary Russell Jr. does mention that, you know, they did try to make that fight, but, you know, pretty much was around the last minute. So that didn't quite happen. So as a result, Josh Warrington ended up vacating the IBF title. Uh, and we all know he ended up facing Mauricio Lara, got knocked out. Then he had a rematch against Mauricio Lara. Clash of heads happened early, so it was a technical decision. So, no result. I have uh, Kiko Martinez, you know, who 
face Kid Galahad after Kid Galahad beat Jaza Dickens for the vacant IBF title. Kiko Martinez. <laughs> he knocks Kid Galahad out. I mean, he knocks some spark out. <laughs> As they say, knocks some spark out. Uh, and now, here we are. It is going to be about four months after he faces Kid Galahad in his first defenses against Josh Warrington in Leeds. And this is, like I said, a rematch of their bout back in May of 2017, you know, when Josh Warrington uh, won by majority decision. Uh, so uh, that's going to be, uh, you know, one of the things that is a very interesting matchup between these two guys. Uh, it's going to be a very dangerous bout for Josh Warrington because, listen, Josh Warrington is kind of like, uh, you know, one of those guys where, like, yeah, he's he's been a world champion. He has 30 wins, but seven of those wins have been my way of knockout. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that he's been doing, he does a lot of inside fighting, uh, but he really doesn't have a lot of pop behind his punch. And Kiko Martinez has some pop behind his punch, as we saw last year. Uh, and y'all saw what happened to Josh Warrington against Mauricio Lara. And... Uh, he gotta be man. He gotta be on his a a a a a a plus 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 game. I feel like if he's gonna get himself through this battle against Kiko Martinez, I think it's gonna be different than the first fight. I think Kiko Martinez could be in the bout where he kind of like feels like, yo, I could let this guy Josh Ward to box, but if he can't hurt me and I catch him with the right hand, it's a wrap for the guy. That is what I think Kiko Martinez is thinking about going into this bout here against Josh Warrington uh, in March. Uh, that is really going to be uh, something uh, serious for Josh Warrington. I don't know if he can afford a loss of that magnitude um, against Kiko Martinez, especially if it's by knockout. So uh, that kind of like rounds out the schedule of therefore the zone from uh, February 5th uh, through the end of March there, March 26th. Like I said, uh, from Jesse Vargas against Liam Smith down to the rematch between Kiko Martinez and Josh Warrington. So uh, that is their schedule uh, there. And uh, we will have a little bit more here uh, when it comes to boxing news and notes. Uh, but we will be right back uh, here in just a moment. The boxing source here right back at you. And we got a couple of more things that we're going to be uh, talking about here on the news tip. Uh, as you know, we got 
Uh, like I said, a couple of events coming up here in the next couple of weeks uh, over in Verona, New York, and over in Atlantic City. Uh, like I said, Joe Smith Jr. is going to be defending his WBO light heavyweight championship against Steve Giffard as Callum Johnson is, you know, out uh, due to a positive COVID-19 test. And then over in um, January 22nd at the Borgata Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, you're going to have Gary Russell Jr. defending his WBC featherweight championship against Mark McSyle. So definitely looking forward to uh, those two main events here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but back into the news circuit uh, here so far as uh, – we got more things coming up uh, that did go through the newswire over the past couple of days. Uh, one thing over in uh, women's boxing, uh, you did have Franchon Cruz, Zern, and Eden Sederuz uh, signed with Matchroom Boxing. Uh, and, you know, that is going to be uh, something where they kind of are setting up finally a fight between those two combatants for the undisputed championship there in the super middleweight division. Uh, that is, you know, what we're kind of like looking forward to uh, there uh, between those two combatants. Uh, so, you know, Eddie Hearn is kind of like trying to, you know, get uh, that, uh, you know, get that going. Of course, you know what we had uh, with um, Alicia Baumgartner. Uh, taking out Terry Harper a uh, few few weeks back uh, for her to, you know, win uh, titles herself. And now we got a thing here with Franchon Cruz's urn, uh, which, you know, we're kind of like a fan of uh, here, the boxing source. Uh, and she hadn't really been treated very well with, by Golden Boy Promotions, as who that's who she has been under uh, for the majority of her uh, career. Uh, but now uh, we'll see what happens uh, here uh, if she uh, gets that fight there against Eden Sederuz uh, for the uh, undisputed uh, super, uh, super middleweight championships uh, there. So that's going to be something uh, we're definitely uh, looking forward to. Uh, also, um, you know, there's been buzz, you know, coming from, uh, you know, reporter there, Mike Coppinger. Uh, from a couple of days ago uh, that, you know, there have been talks that we could have about between Saul Canelo Alvarez and WBC middleweight champion Jermall Charlo. That means Jermall Charlo could move up to 168 to challenge Saul Canelo Alvarez uh, could be there for the, you know, undisputed uh, titles uh, there at 168, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, uh, you know, that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to if it happens. You know, I think that that is going to be uh, one thing where um, it would be a very, very intriguing bout uh, you would have. You know, um, Charlo, unbeaten. You know, he's been kind of like chasing that belt with uh, Canelo uh, there for a while, man. 
uh, you know, he kind of like went at it uh, when he moved up to 160 pounds from 154. Uh, he, you know, kind of, um, you know, he had the 154 pound title, uh, the IBF title, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, he did the thing where he um, challenged uh, the WBC mandatory at the time, I think it was George Sebastian Healing, if I'm not mistaken, uh, won against Healing uh, to become the mandatory and tried to say, hey, I'm the mandatory. Kenalo, come on. What's up? I want some action. What's up? But you ended up having uh, Canelo becoming the uh, WBC franchise champion at that particular time. So, you know, that didn't necessarily go through um and of course Canelo ended up you know facing uh Sergey Kovalev at 175 uh then you know going to 168 we know that he became the undisputed champion at 168 cool now you know after uh you know a couple of bouts uh there by Jamal Charlo now it kind of like seems like uh, Canelo is kind of leaning towards uh, facing Jamal Charlo. He, you know, did have a conversation uh, there uh, with the Last Stand podcast with Brian Custer uh, a while back uh, where he was, you know, talking about, you know, after having this win over Caleb Plant to become the undisputed super middleweight champion that uh, he, you know, was looking at that potential bouts between uh, Jamal Charlo, who was at, you know, 160, and also the former WBC super middleweight champion there, David Benavidez. Uh, and it looked like Canelo was leading towards, uh, you know, facing Jamal Charlo. Of course, you know, you had the whole thing with the WBC convention where uh, you had uh, his uh, trainer there and manager, Eddie Reynoso, uh, hit that Canelo could go up to cruiserweight to face Alunga Makabu, who is the current WBC cruiserweight champion. Uh, Makabu does have a scheduled bout uh, against the uh, top-rated contender Tabisu Mchudu. Uh And if, uh, you know, Makabu gets through that bout, then maybe that could be in the cards. Uh, you know, kind of like saying uh, that Canelo loves challenges and that, you know, he's been a, you know, four-division a world champion, 154, 160, 168, 175. And so that, you know, maybe he could, you know, try to become a five-division world champion. And that would be, you know, I guess in the, in the cards if he goes up there to challenge Luga Makabu, if he, you know, wins uh, for that WBC Cruiserweight Championship. But I'm looking at this thing here with uh, Jamal Charlo, and I'm like, no. When it comes to business, man, you had Canelo Plant had about 800,000 pay-per-view buys. Yeah, it was like the first time you kind of like see Canelo Alvarez in pay-per-view for almost, what, three years, three years or so? Last one was that second fight against Gennady Golovkin. And this, in a sense, was a very successful pay-per-view event. You know, we really hadn't had, uh, you know, the uh, 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 fight that had a million, dollar, uh, million pay-per-view buys uh, since those particular fights. Uh, so 
you know, going up against someone like uh, uh, Jamal Charlo, who, you know, did have, was involved in a pay-per-view himself in 2020 in a doubleheader uh, there with, uh, you know, his brother, uh, Jamal Charlo, um, you know, with a unification bout uh, back then, uh, while, you know, he faced Sergei Derevianchenko. You know, a few people bought that pay-per-view, including myself. I bought it because I'm black. That's why. You know, uh, take that, Steve Kim. Um, and so for me, I'm like looking at this and I'm like, hey, you got Canelo Alvarez that's had a very successful pay-per-view against Caleb Plant. You got Jamel Charlo, who's there undefeated, was world champion in two divisions and could have a chance to be a three-division world champ if this is for the undisputed. Super middleweight championship. I'm looking at this like, hey, that could be a potential one million pay per view buys. Don't sleep on it. It could be one million pay per view buys for this particular fight, given the audience that both Canelo Alvarez and Jamel Charlo brings. I could see that happening. So if you got that on the table, why not go for that fight? You know, I, I understand that Canelo loves challenges. That Canelo, you know, said, hey, you know, I'm a four-division world champion. I'm the first ever uh, undisputed super middleweight champion. So, what? but I could go for a cruiserweight championship. But listen, money talks, you know, and you get a lot of money going up against Jamel Charlo. But right now, I want to bring in a guest onto the Boxing Source radio show. You know him, I know him. Everybody knows him. Uh, he did have himself a long soliloquy to apply himself to become, once again, the president of the Deontay Wilder Fair Club. And we all, and we do know that Deontay Wilder did listen to that. And so we are working. We are working hard to get him reinstated as the president of the Deontay Wilder Fair Club. That's our guy, Mr. Envio himself, Matthew Brown in the building. What's going on, man? Yo, did Dillian White take uh, a title fight yet? <laughs> I haven't, I haven't talked about that. I haven't uh, posted an update on that yet. <laughs> what, what's going on, man? Listen, you have a guy who claims that he has been ducked and done wrong for so many years. I was number one for so many years. Why is it every time this guy has a chance to fight for a title, he don't take it? <laughs> uh, well... I, I, I'll go into that real quick. Uh, you know, we had this whole little situation between Tyson Fury and Dylan White. Dylan White supposedly is the uh, interim WBC champion. Um, and Mr. Dan Rayfield kind of clarified a couple of days ago that, you know, in a way, beforehand, he wasn't a mandatory. And even if he was a mandatory, he got knocked out by Alexander Povetkin. Yeah, so, knocked the fuck out. Don't so, forget about that. Yeah. <laughs> he, got knocked out. he got knocked the fuck out with an uppercut. Um, and 
you know, early last year when he fought the Rocket Gibraltar or whatever it is, he did get a win over Alexander Povetkin to get the interim WBC title back. But what they got to understand is the mandatory thing resets. Uh-huh. So whatever was the situation before his rematch against Alexander Povetkin, that's when it starts over. Okay. And whoa, 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 whoa. But, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. But, but here's the thing. Uh-huh. He had his rematch against Alexander Povetkin. That was for the interim WBC title. Okay. Um but was that ever declared a liberty? No, it wasn't. Okay. So, if it wasn't ever uh, defined as a final eliminator, then you really can't say that Dylan White does stand as the mandatory challenger. Formally, you can't really say that. But, in this particular case, they're saying or claiming that he is. Now, they got into negotiations initially. Yeah. And the WBC had ruled that the split should be 80-20, given the amount of money that both fighters have made uh-huh. in their previous fights. Yeah. Okay. You're on the right path. Uh-huh. Because you had, of course, Tyson Fury have himself a deal with top rank, where his minimum was $15 million. Woo! You know? Uh, it doesn't what, matter what if was he faced... Doing? It doesn't matter if he faced Tom Swartz on a wallet. He faced Deontay Wilder twice, and he got 25, well, 20, wait, no, 25, and then $30 million in those last two fights. Yeah, but, but what was Dylan Dillian White doing while Tyson Fury was making all this money? Hold on, what's that? What was Dillian White doing while Tyson Fury was making all this money? Uh, Dillian White wasn't making anything close to that because, yeah. uh, you see, yeah. when he was over there in the U.K., First, no, 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 he wasn't over there in the UK. This motherfucker was fighting on the rock of Gibraltar. I was, I was talking about the year before that. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> this dude fought on a rock, he fought in a backyard. How was he ever expecting to command the type of split he was looking for when he wasn't making any money? And my favorite part here's my favorite part. He only made $300,000 in his last fight. Now, did he really only make $300,000? Or was he trying to avoid paying big taxes? Guess what? It doesn't matter because he screwed himself. Well, taxes are not. Bottom line is, if he got paid three hundred k for his last fight against Alexander Povetkin, mm-hmm. uh, like Dan Rayfield said, it's Dylan White's fault. To be honest with you, yeah. Now, go a little bit more to uh, Dylan White, right? Here's here's another part where he messed up. Okay, he could have had the opportunity. 
to increase his value in in a, in some sort. All they had to do was face out of Wally. Oh yeah, because that was going to be pay per view, and it was going to be in front of a crowd. So, you're going to add an opportunity to have, you know, yet another fight at the O2 Arena in Greenwich where you could have faced Otto Walling. And you could have had your guy, you know, our guy, set it up, have the ticket price, put it on pay-per-view, set that price on pay-per-view, go ahead and have that event. And you would have been able to say, okay, this is what I'm pulling. This is this is the gate. So this is my value. Mm-hmm. But you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So here, here, here's what makes it even worse, right? You mean to tell me that you couldn't have a fight against Otto Wally? Mm-hmm. But pretty much around the same time that it would have been scheduled, you had the rematch between Joseph Parker and Derek Tazor. Right? Mm-hmm. And they were able to have a whole fight card surrounding that particular bout. And Joseph Parker and Derek Tazor were able to get money. They fought twice mm-hmm. last year. And you only fought once on a rock. And you expect to get more than twenty percent in in a, in a split with Tyson Fury. Now, here's the here's the thing: as we're doing some more number crunching, right? If I'm not mistaken, Tyson Fury makes a minimum of fifteen million dollars per fight, right? Mm-hmm. So, if he's making a minimum of fifteen million dollars per fight. Even in an 80-20 split of some sort, Dylan White could stand to make around $5 million. Is this the same $5 million that he could have made against Anthony Joshua a couple years ago, but he ended up turning it down? Sad. But I just find it hilarious that once again, Dillian the donkey, Dillian White basically caused himself to not get what he wanted because nobody told him to pull out the Wallen fight. Wallen was upset about that. That was really trash what Dillian White did. And we know why he did it. He didn't want to risk losing. Because he allegedly wanted the Fury fight. But guess what? Because you didn't take that Wallen fight. <laughs> you got 20%. It's glorious. He reminds me of those cartoons where you have the guy stick the gun in the hole like a big shotgun. And then the shotgun curls around and is aiming at his butt that he don't know. And then when he shoots, he shoots himself in the ass. That is Dillian White. He go he go end up taking one of the biggest L's of, of 2022 
He got to take this fight, though, JR. He has no way out. He got to take it. He has no way out. Like, if he thinks it's, 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 it's about the money, like, for one, you're probably going to be making probably the most money that you made anyway. Mm-hmm. So, why not go ahead and take it? Um, go ahead and get the fight over with. If you win, great. You win. You're the WBC champ. You be the lineal champ. And you could command more money. Right. But he don't want to do that. Whatever happened to fighters betting on themselves? You know, my favorite fighter, uh, Mr. Deontay Wilder, when he felt he wasn't getting what he deserved in a split with Anthony Joshua, what did he do? He made his own path and he bet on himself. Some might say he lost because he lost the fight, the trilogy of Tyson Fury. But guess what? Deontay Wilder made so much money. And to me, he became part of boxing history because of a legendary trilogy. So, although he lost the fight, did he really lose? No. Well, he definitely did lose in comparison to Dylan White. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it, here's the thing, right? We'll, we'll take it there. Since Dylan White was changing this whole thing with WBC, right? Yep. In the meantime, Deontay Wilder, you know, was trying to, like you said, he was betting on himself. But in the process, he had this guy, you know, you know, by the name of Ludabella, that went over to, you know, the zone to, you know, try his luck as far as like making a fight. Mm-hmm. And what he ended up doing was getting an offer out of the zone. Now it was turned down, yes, but as a result. What it did for Deontay Wilder was it made his value in other fights go up. So when he fought Dominic Brazil, they ended up being like, how much money for fighting Dominic Brazil? What was it, like 18? Around like $18 million or so. Not even pay-per-view. Not even pay-per-view. So you got $18 million for that. He goes up and he faces Luis Ortiz again, gets some good bread, and then he has his, you know, second and third fights with Tyson Fury. He made a lot of money. God damn. So when when, when you put it money. like that, Jesus, he made a lot of money. He made a lot of money, you know? Now, it's amazing. They can do that type of stuff there for Deontay Wilder, but Dylan White, his decisions... He's at the position he's at now because of his decisions. Pretty much straight up. You know? Uh, There's no other way to explain it. And he's supposed to be the one that says, oh, you know, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder didn't want to fight me. Uh, Tyson Fury is reluctant to fight me and, and all that type of stuff. But here you are. You're 
you know, having instances where you're declining chances to, as Deontay Wilder did, build your profile in order to maximize your value. And since you haven't done that, here you are stuck in this particular situation where, yeah, I know that the purse bid was scheduled to be on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Now it's been pursed another week, but who knows that that's going to even. Now let me ask you a question about that. All right. Do you believe the purse bid was moved another week because they are working towards reaching a deal? Because from what I've understood in the past, it would be both sides that would have to agree to move the purse bid. No? Usually that's what the case is. Yeah, so I do wonder if they're working towards a deal. Maybe maybe uh, $5.5 million don't sound so bad to Delia right now. Maybe not. You know, maybe not. Um, you know, then he turned down like 4 or $5 million to fight AJ too? Yes, he did. Oh, my God. Yes, he did. That's why, you know, that's why you ended up having Anthony Joshua, you know, Holy go shit. over and try his luck over and, you know, just stay place. You know, Jarrell Big Baby Miller, you ended up facing Randy Ruiz. Mm-hmm. Hell, even with that, right? That makes it even more funnier. Why? Because Joshua faces Ruiz. Joshua ends up losing, but ends up having a rematch and gets a huge mm-hmm. bag yep. over in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia in a rematch. Probably the most money he's ever made. Probably. You know? It, 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 it was Dylan White, and Dylan White ends up in undercard against freaking... <laughs> what was it, Marius Walk? Yes. And he showed up so out of shape. Yes. You hate to see it, Jr. You hate to see it. Dylan White. Dylan White. Oh, listen. Many years ago, I wrote an article called "The Curious Case of Dillian White," and I went through bullet point by bullet point on how this guy has either mishandled his own career, or he could blame. Sir Edward Hearn for not believing in his commercial viability. So the necessary steps, the necessary money to secure certain opportunities were passed on for Dillian White. Why couldn't they just give Deontay Wilder 12 million? They could have made that fight happen. He could have forfeited about years ago. But they didn't believe in them. They didn't believe that they was going to get a return on their investment. So they didn't pay the money. Why did they pay, what was it, like five, six million for Charles Martin to fight Anthony Joshua? But when it was time for Dillian White to fight Dominic Brazil for that mandatory, they couldn't give Dominic Brazil one or two million? It's like every time we get down to it and it comes time for Eddie Hearn or Dillian White to make a real move 
to get a title shot and become a world champion. It's like Lucy with the football. They 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 pull the football and he falls on his ass. And to me, this is no different. The only difference now is that Tyson Fury is not Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder, because of his affiliations with PBC and because he's a proud black man that's outspoken, he was not beloved by the media. But Tyson Fury is a, a big singing goof that the media loves. So you best believe if Dillian White turns his opportunity down, there will be no violins playing for him this time. There will be no, he was hard done this time. This is finally the time where the media and an extension of that, the fans are finally going to turn on Dillian White and are going to see what I saw years ago and what I've been saying for years that this guy, he ain't, he won't, and he not. Well, that is kind of what the situation may end up being. Um, you talk about this thing here with Dylan White and 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 his uh, promoter Eddie Hearn, and um. Thing is, it, it may not, you know, make sense because, I mean, we kind of heard from Eddie Hearn when it comes to business, man. You know, um, you know, we kind of like said, uh, you know, his things as far as like, uh, you know, what he said about Terrence Crawford uh, and how, you know, sometimes numbers don't make sense for Terrence Crawford. But maybe the same case goes for Dylan White, you know. Uh, you know, you can't necessarily say that Dylan White has uh anywhere near the um allure that Anthony Joshua has. So when you bring up Charles Martin get about five or six million dollars, it's because they know that Anthony Joshua is gonna bring the people that'll pay the money in order for that five or six million dollars to kind of like make sense. They're still gonna make money off that. So what you're saying is that they believed in their return on their investment and they believed in Anthony Joshua's commercial viability. Correct. Yeah, I agree. And that is why I agree. You could have Anthony Joshua having a, his first defense of that IBF title against that same Dominic Brazil. But you can't have Dominic Brazil and Dylan White initially for that one or two million dollars. You know, whether it was going to happen then or it was going to happen later before, you know, the whole thing with, uh, you know, Deontay Wilder ended up facing Dominic Brazil, mm -hmm. you still have that issue of, okay, if I pay this opponent one or two million dollars, am I sure, am I assured that I'm going to make that back? With Dylan White. And I don't think Eddie Hearn is completely confident that he can make that money back with Dylan White. I don't think Eddie Hearn was completely confident that Dylan White would win the fight. 
What against Dominic Brazil? Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Because look at it this way. If you really believe this guy's gonna win the fight, that means a title shot is next. You can't tell me you can't sell a title shot. Mm. Wow. Wow. Eddie Hearn could have potentially believed that Dylan White Yeah. <laughs> he did not think he was going to be Boobs Brazil. Nope. That is my story. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yep. You can oh, laugh. No. You can laugh. Yuck it up. Oh my god. But the fact of the matter is, is that the facts show that he did not invest the money. But 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 it, but it kind of like goes into you know the, the theory that 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 I have put out before in reference to other fighters or other promotional companies, particularly with top-ranked Bob Arum. Like I say, you know, a lot of times when he puts together fights, you know, with other organizations, you know, promotional organizations or whatever it is, is because he really feels like his fighter is going to win that fight, you know? Outside of that, he probably wouldn't do it. You know? Mm -hmm. um, so here, I guess... You heard? You must said that. Hey, yeah, you know, he could probably, you know, beat a uh, uh, a Robert Hellenius, but uh, <laughs> oh my god! Hey man, I'm just telling you what it is, man. Whether or not you want to believe that. It's on you. <laughs> but what I will say is that the facts show the facts show that Eddie didn't want to pay the money. I mean, you know, either, like I said, either he didn't feel like he would have got a good enough return of investment or like you said, maybe <laughs> he didn't think Dylan White would be. <laughs> you sound like you don't believe my theory, man. I don't appreciate being it, it laughed does. at. It's, it's not, I don't it's appreciate not that being I don't laughed at on this theory. program. It's okay, not I that I don't not, believe your theory. I did it's, not come on this program to be laughed off. Okay. I, that's not what it is. This is bullshit, man. This it's is not how you not treat a guest. It, yo. What kind of host are you? This how you treat your guests? Come, Come on, on man. man. Come on, man. You over here having a knee slapper over there. As if it is out of the realm of possibility that Dominic Brazil could be Dillian White. Who the fuck is Dillian White? I mean, you know, but you know what's so bad? Is that with the resume of Dylan White. He's still he's he's considered as like a top five heavyweight. Yeah. 
Not on my Ooh. top five. Oh my god. Oh, oh man. Not my top five. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um I had uh I had a uh, one more uh, other topic, but I, I did talk about the thing with uh Canelo Alvarez and uh 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 you know, Charlo possibly for uh single to buy a weekend or particularly uh, Saturday, May 7th. Um, I was saying, like, you know, how that could potentially be a very, very lucrative pay per view event, yeah, if they do announce it. Um, you know, I, I, I was talking about the, the markets for both of those fighters, uh, and you know, the combination of those two would make it so that it could be potentially nearing or at 1 million pay-per-view buys. I agree. I agree. Right. I mean, you, you, I know that the situation last year kind of like was almost like a perfect storm of sorts uh, for Canelo plant to have 800,000 pay-per-view buys. But I, I, I just think that, uh, you know, here with uh, J- Jamal Charlo and, and Canelo Alvarez uh, potentially clashing uh, there for, you know, the uh, undisputed middleweight champ- uh, super middleweight championship, that it could be uh, grounds for a very, very successful pay-per-view event. You know, if they do this right. So uh, they do announce that, you know, definitely wouldn't look forward to that, though. You know? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope the fight happens because I cannot stomach Canelo fighting Macabu. Alunga Macabu. Yeah. I cannot stomach Canelo fighting fucking Dimitri Bivol. Nope. And if we're honest, better be if it's not on the table because that cut that he suffered against Marcus Brown he ain't going to be ready by May. Yeah. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Ain't no way. Nope. So, it becomes a question of do we prefer David Benavidez or do we prefer Jamal Charlo? Some people might prefer Benavidez, but I'll be honest with you. I think that the buildup and the fan excitement would be more behind Jamal Charlo than it would be behind David Benavidez. And one thing about me, I like big events. And I right. think that Charlo versus Canelo is a bigger event. And I think it draws from different fan bases that would, like you say, brush it up against a million pay-per-view buys. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, from a boxing fans' perspective, you know, like I, I gave the background. Let's say, you know, you know Jamal Jamal Charlo, you know, was at one fifty four for a long time. You know, had become you know IBF champion. You know, uh, knocked out J Rock Williams after you know scoring that knockout. He moved up mm-hmm. to one sixty. You know, fought George Bashahila to become the WBC mandatory. Um, so that he could face Canelo Alvarez, and Canelo Alvarez eventually became franchise champion. Uh, so you know, he was looking for that bout. 
uh, you know, whatever Oscar claimed that they were doing, that that wasn't that wasn't the case. So as far as like offer, no, they didn't offer none. Uh, so now you have Canelo, you know, pretty much free agent under the under the leadership of Eddie Reynoso, and uh, you know, trying to do some things lucrative, you know, some lucrative moves. Uh, he's becoming more and more of a crossover star. Uh, marking him himself. So, you know, um, I think from a from a from a business standpoint, that 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 is the fight that makes the most sense. Um in live chat, shout out the logic uh says like Baval and Makabu are tougher opponents than Charlo. Well, I don't know about that. Uh but Charlo is just a more popular fighter, but not tougher. I don't know about that. But not what? Charlo is a more, he Charlo is just a more popular fighter, but not tougher. What does that even mean? How how does how does he know? Who the fuck is David Benavides for? That we know how tough he is. Uh, who is Lunga Makabu? You know, for that says that he's exactly. Like, come on. I mean, Demetri Bavall, yeah, he's beat, what, Joe Smith Jr.? Yeah, uh, but Joe Smith Jr. knocked his dick string loose at the end of that round. Yeah. <laughs> Don't ever forget that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you know Bavall could, you know, box his way as far as he can. But, uh, you know, if he uh, gets himself uh, chin jacked or whatever it is, uh, you know who you uh, might yeah how the might. fuck we know how david benavidez will react to a solid punch at the very least we saw charlo go head to head with derevianchenko and win what nine rounds to three yep you know we saw charlo fight j-rock when that was a thing and send him to hell you know, yo, I, yo, I saw the uh, uh, po- uh, replay of that posted uh, recently. Yo, that was a pretty, that was a very good move. Yeah, uh, from him. Yeah, he pretty much like caught, caught the punch with his right that was coming up to his face, and then he came out with that same right with the uppercut. He's caught J Rock with it. Bam. Yeah. So like, for me, I don't understand. I don't understand why we're against. Uh, Charlo getting the fight, you know. If anything, we should uh, be praising the fight because we know it's a big event, and we know Charlo's gonna come to fight. When does yep. Charlo ever not come to fight? Exactly, exactly. Um, and, and that's what we should, we should be looking for as fans. In 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 we in of course from a fan's perspective, we 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 hear the whole BS about oh. What is Charlo? Who who Charlo? What has Charlo done? I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You know what I'm saying? I want to hear that. Um, here it says uh, Charlo's power has a carry four of his last five fights. Went the distance with only KO being against uh, you know uh, 154 pounder going up to 160. Now, yeah. But here's the thing though, with 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 uh, Mel Charlo. Mel Charlo's a big guy, okay? Oh, yeah. And the thing about it is, when he was going down to 154 and down to 160, 
he's coming down from like 175, 180, or whatever it is, you know. Um, so he has to go down considerably to make weight, you know, uh, and then rehydrate. Now, I want you know, if he goes to 168, he really doesn't have to cut that much weight down. Kind of want to feel be stronger, you know. So, so that's the thing about it. You know what I mean? Um, and you know that kind of like is the uh, situation here. If he, you know, fights, uh, you know, Alvarez at 168 pounds, which I don't think uh, people are kind of uh, you know looking at that as uh, being a consideration. Right there, man. Yeah, I uh, think I think people are underestimating Charlo, but. I just think it's because a lot of these guys, they, for some reason, they are under the impression Charlo has never fought anyone. And that's, that couldn't be further from the truth, in my opinion. Charlo has had some good fights. He's had some good opponents. Uh, But most of all, he always comes to fight. You know, it's not his fault Triple G turned down a fight with him. You know, it's not his fault uh, Eddie Hearn didn't let Andre come to Showtime for a fight with him. It happens. You know? Who else to be wanting to fight that he ain't fight? Munguia not looking to fight nobody. Munguia looking to fight fucking Demetrius Ballard. Yep. So, who did we want Andre to fight? Not Andre, our Charlie to fight that he's not fighting. We know boxing is a business. We know that. Why do we only understand that boxing is the business for certain fighters? You know, I I never understood that. It's a business. And we will see what shakes out. And if Charlo gets that Canelo fight, I would be more than happy to see it. Now, the one thing that gives me pause about this fight is if Charlo knew he was in the running for a Canelo fight, to me, he should have fought maybe in December or January Mm. just to stay sharp. Mm. I never understood why would you go into the biggest fight of your career with such a huge layoff against your best opponent. Like, come on now. Stay sharp. But some of these dudes, I, I don't know. They don't like to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I really thought that he would have tried to get something in uh before, you know, May. Um Yeah. You know, especially, you know, when uh you have someone like uh Canelo Alvarez who, you know, had uh had been very active in twenty twenty one. Uh and so you wanted to try to get something in and you know, get that through uh, before the end of the year. I mean, yeah. now, you know, having a fight in the middle of 2021 against a Juan Montiel, like, yeah, that would be almost, you know, 11 months. If they do announce this fight, it would be 11 months uh, that it would have been out of the ring, you know? So, um, that's the thing, man. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I feel you, man. I feel you. Um, last, last thing I wanted to jump through was uh, 
Uh, you got another middleweight champion out there by the name of Demetrius Andrade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, you know, before the uh, end of the year, you know, he had his little meeting with uh, those guys over at the zone, uh, those reporters and commentators and whatnot. And he was talking about, hey, why ain't y'all talking about making fights within, you know, natural boxing or within those guys signed under the zone? You know, why are you trying to have me go off to, you know, other, you know, networks or try to do cross-promotional fights with other fighters when you got people right here that are contending right here in the middleweight division and, you know, ain't really, you know, necessarily uh, in there to fight me. Uh, so, you know, that was one thing. But the other thing is, you know, WBO had made a decision to uh, have, you know, the uh, thing there with uh, Janabak Adamhanuli. Good luck pronouncing that name. You know, uh, which, yeah. Like I said, wasn't really that impressed with him against uh, Hassan and Daman Jikam on November 20th. Uh, but, you know, you also have the thing there where, you know, Demetrius Andrade also said that he could potentially move up to 168. Uh, now, if he does that, uh, we'll see if the WBO kind of like holds on to their rules and said, hey, he's been a long time WBO middleweight champion, so he should be the mandatory challenger. But no, the way not that. Happen. But it doesn't look like that's happening because they got a guy by the name of Zach Parker mm-hmm. that's been the mandatory for, yeah, it's almost been a year, actually. Yeah, since he um, fought Rohan Murdoch. Yeah. So he's been standing there as the, uh, as the um, you know, number one contender there at 168. So... Demetrius Andrade pretty much is in a in a uh, little bit of a situation. Uh, like I said, for me, man, this is what I don't understand, right? He's there as a WBO champ in middleweight. Uh, last month, there was supposed to be... <laughs> sound like uh, Bill there. Supposed to be... <laughs> There was supposed to be a unification belt um, with uh, Ryota Murata and, and, a, and a, a guy by the name of Gennady Gennadyevich Glalkin. That didn't happen. Uh, and from what I know, I haven't seen anything that says that it's been really rescheduled. Nope. Uh, I looked at this thing here a while ago. In reference to the zone schedule, and none of those fights said Gennady Golovkin versus Ryota Murata. So if it's not in the cards here for the next two or three months, what's up then? How come y'all can't have Demetrius Andrade against Gennady Golovkin in a unification bout? What's up with it? It doesn't make sense. The only thing we know is that Triple G don't want to fight. That's it. Listen. 
That's the bottom line. He don't want the fight. He don't want the fight. He don't want the fight. In if he lost out on a good, you know, some money going overseas to fight Ryota Murata, okay. That's one thing. But you got a long-standing world champion right there in Demetrius Andre. A a legacy defining fight against mm-hmm. Demetrius Andre. And you're not up there to take that fight. Kind of says a little bit right there. Yeah. Says a lot to me. It says to me that Triple G is exactly who I thought he was and who he's always been. You know, people like like to make it seem like Triple G was special. He don't care about the money. He wants to fight everybody. He's a boogeyman. But as soon as he was in position to be the guy that could call some shots, he denied opportunities to Jamal Charlo, and he denied opportunity to Demetrius Andrade. Yep. And he went over to, you know, fight, tried to fight a guy that, you know, ended up uh, losing a few times. I thought he lost to, pretty much lost in. Yeah, um, he's food. You know? He's food. Everybody know Marada is food. Yeah. Listen, Marada ain't even no real champ. He was a regular champ yep. who, who people, you know, people claim that they don't like the regular title. So what? Because the WBA upgrades him through email, now he's a respected champ? No. Get your ass in the ring with Evers Larry Lara, who is really your mandatory, and let's see what's what. Yep. Yeah, let's see if they can make that fight, uh, whether it's <laughs> don't don't you know, don't have him in Japan. Like bring him bring him over stateside. Yeah, Let but if they bring him. it over in the States, then that's gonna uh involve Bob Aram, because you know Bob Aram yeah. is his US promoter. Yeah. That's the thing. But maybe Bob Aram could have a little bit of confidence in Rayota Murata to say, hey, maybe he can't beat Eris Bundy Lara. You know, I think Lara, he's a little past it. No, he got a belt, but his skills just aren't there. Yep. Maybe he could have something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll uh, see. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, man, it really isn't uh, much else. Uh, yeah, ain't shit going on in boxing. Yeah, ain't nothing else going on, man. I know that Berlanga said that uh, he's facing Steve Rose in March. Mm, nobody gives uh, a shit. Ain't nothing yeah. going on in boxing. You know, but it, it is what it is, man. Uh, that that kind of, like, covers it, man. Um, yeah, I'm done with this particular episode, man. Shout out to MVO for coming in the building uh, to, you know, give his takes and everything like that. Uh, you know, he pretty much says, you know, Happy New Year to everybody except Dylan White. Yeah, uh, fuck that guy. You know. Get in the, get in the fucking ring, Dillian. <laughs> Uh, you know, like I say, happy new year to everybody except Gennady Golovkin. Uh, yeah, fuck that guy too. Retire, Golovkin. <laughs> Sick of you. Sick of your shit. 
Uh, yeah, but with that being said, man, uh, you all know, be back at it uh, for next week. Uh, you know, like I said, they have every show, folks. Porter boxing is to hit, not to hit, like Floyd Mayweather said. You know, the name of the game is to hit, and I can hit. You know, you want to throw shots, but not take shots. That's what we do <laughs> over here at Mayweather Promotions. We, we ain't trying to take damage. You know, we want to lead the game with our faculties. You know, uh, but part of the game is to hit, not get hit, not understand and trade. On that note, folks, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody. Bomb squad, baby. <laughs>